like sit at a coffee table and preach from that or interview someone there. And so however tempting it might be to go take a seat, I will do my best to stay right here the whole time. And so if you would uh, do your part and try to uh, focus on me, uh, if you can. I know I'm, I'm not all that interesting uh, to look at, but uh, we are looking at God's Word, and that certainly is interesting enough. Again, Psalm 46 is where we're going to be looking today. We're uh, taking uh, some time away from Genesis, and I don't know exactly when we're going to get back to there, though we will, uh, Lord willing, but we want to look at this psalm today, which I think is uh, particularly pertinent in our time. So Psalm 46, I'm going to read it to us. This is God's Word. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamot, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her. When morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning. We call to mind that you indeed are God and there is none like you. That as much as the nations might rage, as great as might be the calamities that threaten us in this life or in this world, you are greater. May we take refuge in you. May we find hope in you. May we be comforted having you as our God. May we be made glad because you are in our midst. Father, we come to you this morning with a lot on our minds. Maybe we're looking forward to this week and VBS and all that's involved and all the work that goes into it and coordinating this and, and uh, 
interacting with the kids and interacting with their parents and, and making sure it all happens. And maybe we've got that on our minds thinking about this week. Maybe we've got other things perhaps that we are uh, concerned about that we anticipate in the future, that we fear in the future. Maybe we've got things that have happened this past week that weigh on our minds and weigh on our hearts. Maybe we have trouble right now shaking off those memories, those concerns, those anticipations. I pray, Father, that you would help us in this moment as we have your word open before us. that we would be able to look into your word and see what you have for us. That we would be able to be encouraged where we are with the encouragement that we need that comes from you by your spirit. So we pray for your blessing this morning. We pray for your help this morning. We pray that you would minister to us from your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at this passage, this uh, psalm, which of course is uh, a psalm of the nation of Israel, and so, so much of the story of the Bible is about that tiny little nation and all the history that happened to them. They were surrounded by much larger peoples. And not just larger peoples, not just larger and more powerful peoples, but often peoples around them who uh, were actively seeking their destruction. And so sometimes they would have treaties with those people, sometimes they would be at peace with them at various points in history, but, but the story of the Old Testament is so much a story of a tiny little nation surrounded by people that uh, might turn on them, seek to destroy them. And it seems like when you read through the Old Testament and think about the story of that tiny nation that it seemed like if, if Egypt decided to attack them, that would be it. If Assyria decided to attack them, that would be it. If, if Babylon or, or some other nation around them decided to come against them, that, that would be it. They would be at the mercy of that enemy nation. And so, where is this tiny nation? It doesn't even take up much room on the map. This outnumbered people group, where are they to go and find help and find deliverance? That's what this psalm is about. Well, many of you might feel like you're in a similar situation this morning. Hopefully, you don't have enemies surrounding you. Hopefully, you're not in fear for your life. But maybe there are other things that stack up against you. You may feel like you're in danger of being overwhelmed by other forces. We've been wrestling with concepts regarding the Bible that we've never thought about before. Maybe they're crowding in on you and you have great concerns. Maybe some of the things that a church that you've come to think would always be the same suddenly aren't exactly the same. 
You may feel like you've got relationships that are at risk and that will have deep impact on you and, and on your life. It may, may be that you feel like what has been a safe place no longer feels like such a safe place for you, not the way it used to. Or maybe you've got other threats that no one knows about, other things that you're concerned about, that weigh in, that, that press into your mind, that, that get in the way when you try to sleep, that interrupt when you try to pray, that, that uh, you find yourself staring off into the distance in the midst of a conversation because this other thing has taken over. Whatever the concerns are, whatever the looming forces are that might suddenly break in, God has a word for you this morning from this psalm. So we want to work our way through this psalm and then make some application for, uh, for our lives. First of all, God, our helper, makes us unafraid. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's like the thesis statement for this psalm. You don't always get the thesis statement right at the beginning. Sometimes it's partway through. Sometimes it's at the end, the conclusion. But here in this one, you have like a thesis statement. The rest of it is going to be built on that fact that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's a refuge for us. He's a place for us to go and hide. He's a place for us to find help that we need. So that raises the question, how do we hide in God? How can we come to the Lord for help? Well, the very first thing that we need to be reminded of as we come to this psalm is that we've got a sin issue that needs to be dealt with. That if we have not been reconciled to this God, coming to Him for help is going to be of no help. That if we still have the condition that we were born with as our condition now, if we are still in our sins, we've not trusted Christ, we've not been reconciled to God, if we are still on our own, then it's a fool's errand to try and go and, and find some other kind of help from God if we've not been reconciled to Him. A lot of times you will hear those who want to find help in God, and I appreciate that, but if they haven't come to know Him, then being close with Him in the way that they think is not going to provide some sort of life help if they don't know Him personally. We are all born with a sin debt. We're all born uh, separated from God because of our sin. That's the way we're born. That sin has broken our relationship with Him, as it were. And we don't have that kind of intimacy with Him. Instead, we have enmity with Him. He actually stands against us because of our great sin debt. And if God were to have left it that way, we would, uh, we would have ended in destruction, and God would be right to have done so. But that's not what He did. He, he sent His Son to be born as one of us, to live a life that was actually obedient, where you and I have been disobedient, and, and yet He went to the cross to die for my sin, for your sin. 
to take that penalty upon himself to pay that penalty. And, and he died on the cross, and he, he was buried, and he was raised, and God received him back to be with himself. And the Bible says that if we will look to Christ and trust in him, if we will turn to him in faith, away from our own accomplishment, away from our own however it is we thought we were going to be right with God, whether it's being good or having gone to the right church or having done the right things or climbed the right ladder or whatever way we thought it was going to be, if we will turn from that and look to Jesus alone, realizing that Jesus has paid the full penalty for my sin, that He Himself has a righteous record that He can give to me by faith, I can be reconciled to God. And the Father receives me into His own family with the love that He even has for Christ because I am in Christ. And so we need to be reconciled to God before we want to run to God for help from some problem in, in, in the world. And so how does the Christian run to God for help? How does the Christian take refuge in God? Assuming you have come to Christ in faith, assuming you've been reconciled to God because of what Jesus has done, that you have looked to Him and you've put your trust in Him and you're not trusting in some other way or some other thing to make yourself right with God, if you've looked to Jesus and trusted in Him, well now how can you run to God for help in time of trouble? Because though our sin problem is the greatest problem we have, it's, it's not the only trouble we run into, is it? It's not as if Someone comes to faith in Christ and their sins are forgiven. And, and for a moment, I, I remember that moment, I felt like everything is right in the world. This is the greatest thing ever. and I've got no other problems. And then I took about four breaths and I realized, oh, I have, I have other problems as well. But how, how can the Christian who has been reconciled to God take refuge in God? Well, no mystery here. No mystery here. One, go, go to Him in prayer. We talked about casting our anxieties upon Him because He cares for us. We do that in prayer. We go to God and we, and we bring our problems to Him. And it doesn't annoy Him when we do that. It doesn't bother Him when we bring our heavy things to Him. Go to Him in prayer. Cast our anxieties upon Him because He cares for us. Secondly, trust in His Word. We want to think about the things that are true, and the things that are true are found right here in His Word. And so we go to the Bible and we, and we look here for things that are true, particularly as they relate to our problem or God's love for us through the midst of problems or how He delivers His people or we go to His Word and we trust His Word, what His Word says. And I'll tell you that for me and, and probably for you, oftentimes the truth of God's Word, the thing that He says is true, I don't always feel. There are sometimes I go to God and, and His Word says that He loves me. And I think, well, I don't really feel it. I need to trust God's Word. Thirdly, meditate on His truth. Think about and think over and retrain your mind and retrain your thinking to think about what is true from God's Word. Not just that we uh, think about it once and then it's all done. We want to meditate on it. We want to retrain our own thinking. Fourthly, we want to take refuge with His people. Because the thing I'm struggling with, the thing that is, is the, the, the giant problem looming in my life may not be exactly the same as yours. And when I get together with you, when I take refuge with God's people, 
I find that for you, this is an area of strength. And you can just say, yeah, I faced that problem, and here's how I've dealt with it. I've trusted the Lord this way. I've, when we take refuge with one another, we find strength together. So often what pain does is drives us to a place where, where we feel alone, and we actually seek out ways to be alone. I, I'm not going to call so-and-so. Yeah, I'm not going to tell anyone about this problem. I'm just kind of going to suffer through it, lick my own wounds. Folks, we need to take refuge together. And fifthly, we need to rely on the strengthening of His Holy Spirit within us. We need to be reminded of the fact that the Spirit of God dwells within you, Christian. And that's not just a doctrine we read about somewhere. The Spirit of God, God Himself, the third person of the Trinity, dwells within you to give you strength, to encourage you, to help you understand His Word, to help you understand how the truths of His Word apply to your life, to help you pray, lean on the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And so we have that great thesis statement, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. But He goes on and He draws some conclusions from that, therefore, therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, the conclusion that he draws is that we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Can you think of something larger? I mean, yeah, you can imagine, yeah, there are stars and whatnot, but do we really care about them? I mean, we're standing on the earth. We live on the earth. We walk on the earth. Everything we see, everything about our life is here on the earth. And he's saying, though the earth were to give way, we wouldn't fear. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, we wouldn't fear. Though the waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The mountains quaking and falling into the seas, that's cataclysmic. That's big stuff. The seas raging, the, the earth tottering. What, what could be scarier? What could be scarier than the thing you're standing on and resting on and all your points of reference shifting around? I imagine that's what it's like when, when uh, certain ailments take you and everything changes. I had a coworker whose dad was driving along and all of a sudden something went wrong in his, in his inner ear probably. And he said it was as if the world did this. And so he was driving, and he wrenched the car over because he was thinking the world was, you know, was that, that fast, everything was tipping. Well, so, of course, then he rolled the car and everything else because of the way his inner ear was acting and all that stuff. Well, that's, that's kind of the threat that's going on here. If the, the mountains quaking, the sea raging, the earth tottering, and all that kind of stuff, what could be scarier than everything suddenly, instantly moving on you? The, the, the very ground that you've been standing on tries to buck you off. That was what it was like for Israel at various points in their history with the nations around them coming against them and, and everything's threatening them and all that kind of stuff. And that's what it's like for some of you right now, some of us right now. Well, the answer for you is the same as the answer was for Israel. Look to God, your refuge and your strength, and you will find Him to be a very present 
a very tried and true help in trouble. And you don't have to be afraid either. Like a, like a little girl in the midst of a storm or walking in a dark woods at night, simply holding her daddy's hand, so she's not afraid. You will find God to be all the refuge you need in time of trouble. That's what the psalmist says, looking at, at the mountains and looking at the seas and all that's being shaken up there. He says, God, our helper, makes us unafraid. But then he continues in verse 4, God with us makes us glad. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. He's giving the image here of the city, and you can picture all this, that, that Jerusalem, the, 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 the capital, that's where the temple is, that's where the, the seat of government is, and all that stuff, and, and of course the enemies around threatening at different times, and, and, and all that was going on, and, and the psalmist says, there's, a, there's a, a little stream, there's a river with streams within the city of God that makes glad the city of God. In the midst of all that stuff, in the midst of all the, the uproar and the frightening things and the, the giant cataclysmic events and all that kind of stuff, there is, a, there is a river in the city whose streams make the city glad. Now, there's, there's water in Jerusalem, and there, you know, there's, there are streams there and things like that, but I think, he's, I think he's talking about what he says in the next verse, which is God is in the midst of her. Yeah, a stream in your city when everything else around you is going crazy, a, a, a good supply of water is essential. It's important when you're under threat of destruction, but the presence of God in their midst is the real hope. And so he says there is a river with streams that make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So you've got this image there of, of, of peace within the city. And can you imagine that? As from the point of view of the author, that you're standing there, and you're, you're, or you're sitting there, you're writing this psalm, and you're and you're thinking about all of the raging that goes on around you with the mountains and the sea and everything's uh, uh, in, in tumult and, and all these kind of problems are going on. And then he focuses to Jerusalem itself. And wh what do you find there? In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of the threat, and by the way, the threat is directly often aimed right at Jerusalem. And right there in Jerusalem, you find peace. She shall not be moved. Like a fixed point, with everything else around swirling, everything else around threatening, there is a fixed point that doesn't change. There is a fixed point that is at peace. There is a place that is made glad and made glad by the presence of God. Even in times when the earth and the sea and the mountains tumble around and threaten, there's a peaceful stream providing water 
for their embattled city. God himself in their midst kept them from being tossed around like the earth and the mountains all around them. They had a stability that defied circumstance. They had a peace that passes understanding because God is in their midst. Well, we in our day have God with us in an even more profound way. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That at his birth was announced that this would be him, that, that, that God the Son was taking on flesh, becoming human, becoming one of us. This wasn't just God looking from afar. I mean, God has good eyes, and he could see everything that's going on in the earth, and surely he could have, you know, peered from, from glory and, and seen what's happening in the world, and that, that would be enough. Or God could have just come down and drawn near and visited to look around and be, be near us and then go back like, like He's on a safari or something like that. But that's not what the Son of God did. The Son of God Himself took on flesh and became one of us, identifying with us, becoming human. He joined with us, and he's called Emmanuel, God with us. He took on flesh. He became one of us. He did so in order that he could obey in our place because we keep disobeying from the first man until now. He came not only so that he could obey in our place, but because we needed a substitute to die in our place to pay the penalty for all the guilt that we've accumulated. And Jesus did both of those things. He took upon Himself that role. He obeyed in our place. He died in our place so that He could be raised to life as the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn of us from the dead. And He ascended back to the Father in glory, and He sent His Holy Spirit to live within each and every Christian. So the psalmist talks about God with us. God is in the midst of them, making them glad. Well, folks, we have God in the midst of us in a far more profound way. Jesus has taken on flesh. He's he's become one of us, and He's stood in our place. He's been the substitute for us. And now, having lived a life of obedience and died the death of substitute in our place and being raised and ascended to the Father, He has sent His Spirit. And where does His Spirit dwell? Not, not, in, not in the baptismal, not in some location, not in a, a mountain somewhere that's very special. He sent His Spirit to dwell within you and within me, Christian. And so if the psalmist could look and say that there is peace because of having God in our midst, how much more ought we to have peace? How much more ought we to be glad who have God in our midst. We have God in our heart by His Holy Spirit. God is with us through all the troubles that we face as Christians. He's with us to help us, to strengthen us, to guide us, to direct us to His Word, 
to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. There is a river that makes glad, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. How much more us? And then he gets more explicit, and he points out here in the next couple of verses that he actually wasn't really talking about cataclysmic, seismic events. That wasn't really the point, though those things happen and those things have happened. But he says, the nations rage, verse 6. The kingdoms totter. He's talking about nations. He's talking about people who, who hate God's people for one reason or another and go after God's people and want to kill God's people. And here's this tiny nation of God's people. The nations all around them coming after them at different times, or, or uh, even if they didn't just hate them, they sure wanted their riches. And so they would come and they would take all of their stuff. They would plunder them. They would, they would want their land. They would try to run them out. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. And what does God do? Shouts with a mighty voice. Well, sometimes God does that. He utters his voice. He utters his voice. What does it take to quell the rage of the nations? A strong show on God's part? Well, sometimes he does that. And when we look to the Exodus, we see a strong show because God wanted to put on display exactly what's going on here. But that's not what it says here. He utters his voice. The earth melts. Does it take great exertion on God's part? Does God have to, uh, you know, kind of wake up and warm up a little bit and stretch out and, and make sure he's got his, his, uh, his best armor on to go to battle? Does he have to shout? Does he have to warm up his voice? No, he utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. I don't think we realize exactly the power that we have, the help that we have in God's Word. This is His voice. And His voice doesn't always shout. Sometimes it does. Sometimes we read it and we're astounded. Sometimes we, it, it addresses so clearly and powerfully a, a situation in our world or a situ, situation in our life that just makes us turn a 180. It, it directly confronts a false belief that we might have. It does that. But even in the places where it just talks to you about that, that attitude that you've got, or it addresses that area where you're just not really trusting the Lord, or where you're looking more to yourself than you are to Jesus. In those little subtle areas, we think, eh, you know, I read my Bible this morning and I didn't get a whole lot out of it. It just pointed to Jesus again. <laughs> the Lord utters His voice and the earth melts. When we go to God's Word and, and we're directed to Jesus again and away from ourselves, when we're given hope again where there was despair, when we are confronted with the way we treat our neighbor, or the way we've been thinking about God, 
Those are, those are little utterances of his voice. And we have it right here. And what's God doing? Well, he's melting. He's melting our hearts. He's accomplishing great things through, through, through a gentle voice. It doesn't have to be a shout. God is, God is at work, and He does so through His Word. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, says the psalmist. We don't trust His Word enough. I don't go to His Word enough. We need to be reminded that in the midst of this great turmoil, this situation that, that the nation might find itself in, The Lord is their God, and He utters His voice. At the quaking mountains, at the raging seas, at the land that's trying to buck them off, at all that massive uh, attack of nations, threat of nations, all those big things that are too great, that are too much to handle, that the Lord addresses them by uttering His voice. And you've got it bound and sitting in your lap. You've got it on your phone in different translations. The very voice of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We have the voice of God. We have God Himself, in fact, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts, you probably see if you've got footnotes there, it's uh, the Lord of angelic armies, which I think we've been, uh, you know, at least in my mind, when I think of an angel, I think of a fat little baby on a cloud, you know, playing a harp or something like that. I think a cherub, and they're so soft and cute, and, and, uh, and, and a child, you know, angelic and all this stuff. Well, okay, I get all that. But there are armies of angels that would scare you if you saw a single angel. And there are hosts of these. There are armies of these. God has that kind of power, and He's not one of them. He is the Lord of them. You think of the story of Joshua, and he's, he's about to attack uh, the city of Jericho. He's about to go into that, and Joshua looks and he sees a man standing. This is in uh, Joshua chapter 5. It's, it's fascinating. He sees a man standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua said, went up to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or are you for the adversary? And he said, No. <laughs> is it this or is it this? No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and I have come. Joshua responded exactly as he ought to have done. He fell on his face to the earth, and he worshiped, and he said, what does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. The place you are standing is holy, and Joshua did so. That Lord of hosts, that commander of the angelic armies of God, not, not chubby little babies with cute cheeks, but warriors of a spiritual kind, the commander of all of them 
is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God with us makes us glad. And then thirdly, God the victor makes us rest. Come, verse 8. Behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. Behold, come and look at what God has done. It's one of the reasons we encourage you to read your Bible regularly, as you can see and be reminded again and again, the inspired account of God being victorious for His people. Him delivering them from impossible circumstances. Him delivering them from the consequences of their own sin. God working on behalf of His people. So we read God's Word and we are reminded and the psalmist would have us do the same thing. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Verse 9, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. How does He do so, by the way? We have to finish the verse. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God is able to bring peace on a, on a massive scale, on, on as large a scale as He cares to do so. He's able to bring peace, and there are a couple of ways He can do that. One is that He can destroy the enemy. And I think that may be what is being hinted at here, that if you were a soldier, if you were a warrior, you wouldn't let your weapons be broken unless you were dead first because those things mean your life and I think that's probably what it's being talked about here that God has often come against his enemies or the enemies of his people and he has brought destruction to them for the purpose of bringing peace to his people that's one way God can bring peace establish peace to the ends of the earth but there's another way and it's possible it's what's being hinted at here that Maybe the focus isn't on the destruction of the enemy, but on the, the, the diffusing of the ability to make war, or perhaps the diffusing of the desire to make war. There was a great king who had come against Judah, was laying siege. And he had a massive army countless. And while he was there making war, laying siege to the people of God, he heard a rumor from back home. So he left. He just left. God has the ability to work in such a way. God, God can bring judgment and He can bring destruction and He can do those things. He has the ability to do that. But he can also make wars cease in different ways. He can diffuse a situation so that no war is even pursued. And I think I want to pause here for just a moment in our own situation. Think about, think about the last couple of weeks here at church. Most of us have so much invested in our church that the changes at Parkside are very threatening. Personally, we can feel very threatened. And when we're threatened, we can easily be tempted to, to lash out, to grow bitter, to express that bitterness in self-preservation or defense of those that we love. We can be tempted to see others as being at war with us, as if they were our enemies. 
Keep in mind that those people in the church that you may be tempted to harbor hard feelings towards are your brothers and sisters in Christ, not your enemies. They've been graciously redeemed and forgiven of their sins just like you had to be redeemed and forgiven of your sins. So think about and speak graciously to and about one another. We could be tempted to gossip about the situation. One author defined gossip very helpfully. He said he called it bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Maybe we aren't really tempted yet to, to share gossip, but it sure is tempting to listen to it. We feel like it's keeping us informed after all. It, it's helping us understand what's really going on, but in fact, it's, it's, it's really something worse. It's like, a, it's like a cancer. It grows its way into hidden places and causes pain and dislocation you wouldn't expect. Be careful not to listen to gossip. You, you may need to stop a person mid-story and, and, and ask some questions about this. Do, do we need to talk about this? Is this something that we ought to be talking about? Maybe ask that person, have you talked to the person you're telling the story about? To find out whether it's actually true, whether that's what they meant or that's what they said or that's what they did. And if they haven't, send them to that person. And you, if you've, if you've heard gossip, if you've heard something like that, go directly to, this is the best way to diffuse gossip. If you hear something bad or disturbing about someone, go to that person about it. And ask them. And nine times out of ten, you will come away satisfied. And that story doesn't continue Go to that person and ask them whether this is true. Ask them what they meant if they did say that or do that thing. Find out from the person that you're talking about. And usually you will find out there is less of a story there than you thought. Less of a story there than you heard. Now, your flesh won't really like that. I'll warn you in advance. Our flesh likes the juicy story. You know, it's not just in the news world that if it bleeds, it leads, right? We kind of like a juicy tale, but it will benefit your own heart and it will benefit the body of Christ if you will go to the person and find out the truth. Lies die in the light. Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Can you imagine that? Here, here this, this author, this psalmist, is, is writing from the perspective of being in Jerusalem when the world is crazy and the world has gone against them and everything is moving and shaking and threatening. And he doesn't give instruction about how to, you know, build a fort or run to the hills or how to escape or how to get away. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted 
in the earth. Let God work in your situation. Remember, it's his voice that he simply utters to melt the earth. He's the one who can bring peace, not you. He's the one who is able to have power and strength over nations, not you. Be still and know that He is God. He will be exalted among the nations in all the earth and in your troubles too. So pray and let God work. Trust Him to work in the hearts of His people, including you, and then let Him do it. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When we find ourselves in situations like this one, where we sense threats all around us, threats to relationships, threats to our church, threats to what's familiar, to what we become used to. When we find ourselves in trouble, we would do well to remember just who our God is. In all of His power and His wisdom and His care for us. And heed his words in verse 10, be still and know that he is God. God, folks, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And therefore, therefore, we will not fear. Let's pray. Father, we confess, I confess, that all too often I'm trying to smooth out the tumbling mountains and the roaring waters, that I'm trying to do my best to uh, find a way to fix things or, or maybe just run away. But your instruction in this great psalm, in light of the fact that you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, we ought to be still and know that you are God and take refuge in you. And may we do that in very practical ways. May we do that in the ways that we need. And I've touched on several in, in we have, each of us, 20 threats that I've not addressed. But may we, may we realize and understand and keep in mind who you are. Our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. May we be still and focus on that, knowing that you will be exalted in the earth. You will be exalted in my troubles. You will be exalted in our land, and you will be exalted in this church. And Father, may we draw the same therefore, the same conclusion that the psalmist does therefore. We will not fear. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people today, that we would have a calm, sure, resting confidence in you, because of who you are, and that we would trust you, that we would take refuge in you, that we would find strength in you, 
to address our fears, to address our threats, that we would be at peace in the midst of it, knowing that God is with us, and therefore we are glad. So we pray that you would bless us by your Holy Spirit, because we've been reconciled to you by your Son, for your own glory and for our good. And Father, I think of those who are going through very acute struggles. I think of those that we prayed for whose health has turned south. And I think of uh, Daryl and Dixie also, and Dixie's health as well. Tom and Nancy with ongoing struggles. And we could continue going around the room with physical threats, physical ailments, added to our relational difficulties and our life hardships and our big questions and our concerns. I pray that you would help each one who's going through that kind of a threatening situation to keep their eyes fixed on you, that they too, that I too would be still and know that you are God and take comfort in you. Therefore, we will not fear. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There's going to be a family to come up and pray with you. Uh, if, uh, if you would like to do that, they love to do that. I would encourage you as well. Uh, VBS is tonight, and we are praying. Uh, we who are uh, volunteering, etc., with that, we'll be praying at 4 o'clock, and then um, we will start the mealtime at 4.30. Uh, so I would encourage you for that. Be in prayer. Even if you're not uh, physically participating, please be praying for us. After our service is over, I'm going to be down front here. If you have questions, if you have comments or, or need to talk to me, I will be here as well. Otherwise, God bless you all, and you are dismissed.